You're listening to the Phil Klein Dental Podcast from VivaLearning.com. Thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Phil Klein. Obstructive sleep apnea is more common than you think, and as dentists, it's critical to identify this insidious condition as early as possible. Not only can it wreak havoc on your patient's teeth and gums, it can also cause serious systemic health issues for the adult, child, and even newborn. Today we'll discuss integrative oral medicine and how it relates to conditions like obstructive sleep apnea. We'll also discuss the importance of using biologically kind restorative materials that promote systemic health and predictable long-term clinical success. Our guest is Dr. Mark Cannon, a professor of otolaryngology, Division of Dentistry at Northwestern University, Feinberg School of Medicine, and he's a member of the International Association of Pediatric Dentistry. In addition to maintaining a large private practice in the suburbs of Chicago, he is the research coordinator of the residency program at Ann and Robert Lurie Children's Hospital, Chicago, Illinois. Dr. Cannon is on the executive board, current president, 2023, and a master fellow of the American Academy of Oral and Systemic Health. Before we get started, I would like to mention that Dr. Cannon's webinar titled Total Pediatric Dentistry is now available as an on-demand webinar on vivalearning.com. Simply type in the search field Cannon, C-A-N-N-O-N, and you'll see it. It's an excellent webinar for the entire dental team. Dr. Cannon, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Phil. This is so much fun. We haven't done this in some time. We should do it more often. Yes, I would love to. Uh, With all the knowledge that you have to share with our audience, I would love to. And uh, I'm glad we're doing this one, so I can't get greedy. So this is an interesting topic. We're talking about integrative oral medicine, but from your standpoint, we're talking about starting this whole process, not only with children, but even before they're born, which is something that is quite surprising to me. And an example of this is obstructive sleep apnea during pregnancy. So if you would, talk to our listeners about integrative oral medicine briefly. Tell us what that is and then go into how it starts even before the patient's born as it's linked to uh, patients that are pregnant that are suffering from obstructive sleep apnea. Well, I think, you know, I've been involved with um, pediatric dentistry since the 70s and I've we see a lot of children when they're like one years of age, they come in for their first checkup. And one of the first things you do is evaluate airway for lip ties and tongue ties. And I see a lot of babies coming in, young babies you cannot feed. I see those all the time where we have to do evaluation for laser therapy of a lip tie or tongue tie, etc. But going back to the airway, often I'll be discussing with a mother or if they are if I'm seeing a three-year-old, I notice a mother is expecting another child. We discuss things like obstructive sleep apnea during pregnancy. It depends on the study, but in many studies, a, a number of women having OSA doubles during pregnancy due to the additional um, and the necessary gaining of weight for the baby. Their sleep positions all change and all that. And sleep apnea during pregnancy has some very significant potential negative outcomes when it comes to developing child. So we always discuss that because, quite frankly, the treating sleep apnea during pregnancy is relatively easy. It's a short-term treatment, often with dental appliances. So there's absolutely no reason not to treat it. So let's switch gears a bit for now. And I do want to say that we're going to get back into talking more about obstructive sleep apnea and how it affects the dentition, the whole body, what dentists can do about it uh, later on in this podcast. So we're going to get back into it. But before we do that, I want to talk about dental materials for a few minutes. 
bio-friendly materials so that we do the best we can for the health of the patient. And that means not using materials that could be detrimental to the body by being absorbed through the tooth and so forth. One of the most important things we do in dentistry as far as restorative dentistry is, is use base liner material. In the past, we've had some contraindications for using uh, base liner materials. So tell us about that. Well, that's a very important issue because um, just you mentioned things and materials you don't want. Um, just recently, you saw that a lot of breast milk is contaminated with fire retardant from the clothes that the mothers are wearing, and they're unfortunately giving the fire retardant to their child. So people didn't know to be worried about that. But over a period of time, we've changed restorative materials, right? We went from silver, we went from gold, which were strong materials that did need support, and we could just place those on top of any old calcium hydroxide product like Diacal, and we've gone to a lot more resins, and people are doing some extremely large composites. I've done some very large composites very successfully, but then what's underneath that resin-based composite becomes very important. It has to be strong. It should actually adhere to the tooth structure. Now, during the period of development of these base liners, we had this little interim where there was a compromise that was done. People would apply a little dical calcium hydroxide, cover it with a glass ionomer so they could etch and rinse without disturbing the dical. And it was a compromise because it didn't quite work well. As we know from many studies, there was no adhesion between the dical and the dentin, and there was no adhesion between the dical and the glass ionomer. And so you basically had a very weak substructure. But wait, there's another issue. The fluoride released from the glass ionomer would actually react with the calcium be released from the glass from the dical making calcium fluoride crystals, which are insoluble and inert. So we have shown in research that you actually reduce the amount of calcium and reduce the amount of fluoride by putting both products together. Thank God there's a replacement. I mean, uh, one of my favorite things, and I absolutely really admired the chemists who worked on this, was the development of TheraBase, which is a Bisco product. And TheraBase does everything. It is adheres to the dentin. It's dual cured, so you know it's cured all the way down. It has a very high degree of polymerization, so it has a lot of strength to it. It does release calcium, so you get the calcium release, and because of how it's formulated, there can be some fluoride release also. It is radiopaque, and it replaces the missing dentin and mechanical properties. So it basically does everything you want so you can place a composite that is a large composite and be certain you're doing what the patient needs, you're doing what's good for the dentin, and of course the alkalinity of it is very good for the pulp, stimulating more dentin formation. You also give the calcium for the dentin formation, but the alkalinity inhibits bacterial growth, as we all know. So, you know, a glass ionomer is acidic. It's not, in fact, it's known to be cytotoxic if it gets too close to the pulp. So you have to keep at least a half millimeter or more dentin to protect the pulp. This is something that I think should be routine for dental practices. Let's talk about the application. So the clinical application is a large composite 
but let's talk about where we're very, very deep versus we're not super deep. Do we use anything different or we just put TheraBase on in both cases? We're not talking about a pulp exposure now. We're talking about yeah. a deep filling versus one that's just average and there's enough dent and not to worry. Well, if it's just a regular restoration and you just want to provide some pulpal, you know, indirect protection, you want the alkalinity, the calcium release, and you want to reduce sensitivity, because this absolutely reduces sensitivity, you can use Theracal-LC, which is a light-cured tricalcium-dicalcium uh, silicate product. Apply that light-cure, go right straight to work, and finish restoring it. Now, if you have a large uh, Carious lesion. I always go with TheraBase because it has the additional strength, and of course, it's dual cured. And one thing with Theracal LC, again, being light cured, being very opaque, <laughs> it's a very opaque product. You don't want to make put it on too thick. You want to keep the layers very thin. So it would take a long time to build that up completely. So you don't want to do that. You want to go from Theraca LC and conservative restorations to the large um, restorations you want to use the TheraBase. Uh, I think the Thera family has that well covered, along with, of course, having then the TheraSem, the, the cement product too. And I assume this all works very well, leaving a small amount of affected dentin when you're doing an indirect pulp cap that's very deep. You don't oh yeah, well, okay. indirect pulp cap, you leave a little bit of decay, but you see, you gotta if you leave a little bit of what they call affected dentin, which is dentin that does not have a huge bacterial load, that would be infected dentin. If you leave a little affected dentin, you still have weakened the tooth. That is why some people have had failures within direct pulp caps is because what they place on top of that area is too weak to support the restoration for a long period of time. And the restoration will flex, and you'll get some micro leakage and return of contamination, and then you end up having um, the pulp go necrotic two years later, three years later, and people say, well, I try it. It doesn't, it doesn't work in my hands. Well, that's why. You need to have a good, strong restoration and have a good, strong seal. Can you just also talk about the pulp exposure? So you have a small pulp exposure due to trauma or it's a carous exposure and you do get some bleeding. So it shows the pulp is vital because if there's no bleeding and it's necrotic, a pulp cap is not going to help you if the diagnosis of the tooth is necrotic pulp. So what do we do there if we have a direct exposure, small? Well, of course, it depends a lot upon the patient's age and what tooth you're looking at and what else they have going on. For instance, if you look at an older patient who's had a lot of endodontic procedures and crowns, you might actually in your mind be giving that tooth a little bit less of a chance to remain vital, uh, especially if they have a lot of medical compromises at the same time. But yeah, if you're looking at a young patient like I would look at, who obviously has never had any root canal uh, procedures ever done, and it's like a sole tooth coming in, I would give it every opportunity to remain vital. And I would tell you that everyone who does this will say they probably have a, like a 90% success rate with a direct pulp cap um, when it's properly done, when you have a good seal. And it's a tooth where the pulp was vital, um, not a big history of pain, not a lot of sensitivity. I've had some that have had some sensitivity and they've been fine just with a direct bulb cap for many, many years. Um, it's kind of important with young people to not burn them out on dentistry too fast. We have kids who are teenagers who come in who've been burned out and they're not good dental patients and they're only 
14, 15 years of age. You can't treat your 13, 14, 15 year old as if they're in their 50s and 60s. When you say burned out, you mean too much clinical dentistry has been done? Yeah, to them? a lot of clinical dentistry and they've given up. They're all, you can see when you talk to them, their motivation levels are lower. Uh, this is where it becomes very important to give them all the benefits of preventive care and talk to them about prebiotics and probiotics to build them back up to be good dental patients. And utilizing a good material, like I cannot tell you how many patients I've had who've always complained about having had sensitivity after seeing a dentist, we'll go ahead and do our standard procedure. We utilize the TheraCal LC or the TheraBase and the sensitivity rates are so much less, they don't fear coming in. If you keep them comfortable during the procedure and they have no post-operative sensitivity, it was really rare to have post-operative sensitivity. And when I was in full-time practice, and I would see all those thousands of thousands of young people doing composites, it was really rare to see it. Are we entering a stage now in dentistry where we all are going to be using bioactive materials as our restorative materials? And the days of inert restorative materials are coming to an end? In the past, we always used things that were noble, that were kind of bio-inert. Now we've moved more to bioactive. We like to use terms like just biological because we want to make sure it's not just the goal of forming a little appetite, you know, which is a calcium phosphate crystal. You want to make sure you're doing more in that environment. Number one, you want to make sure that the ion release reduces any chance in any future recurrent carries. You want to work with uh, lack of sensitivity. You want to make sure that the the aesthetics are there and that the strengths are there. I mean, you, you can call something bioactive, but that doesn't mean it's strong. Right. So <laughs> what, what's, what's happened to glass ionomer now in dentistry? There's still a, a major application for glass ionomer, correct? Yeah. Uh, but there's much less. I mean, I'm a big glass ionomer person. You know, I spent many, many years lecturing about some of my favorite glass ionomer materials. And and all that was true then. It's still true today. But there's far less of a need because we have newer, better materials. Again, I know we've talked about TheraBase a few times. But that is definitely, I don't use a glass ionomer as a base anymore. It's not used as a base. I what will about use it as a temporary? In pediatric dentistry, I'm an endodontist retired, but I always thought in pediatric dentistry, glass ionomers were uh, a better choice for kids, the fluoride aspect of it. And they're relatively moisture friendly. Right. Uh, so, yeah, we still do a lot of glass ionomers um, in situations of, let's say, atraumatic restorative care or alternative restorative care. Uh, treatment where we'll go in and maybe do some SDF treatment of some large carious lesions, but more in the anterior where it might show the darkness. We'll do a lot of glass animers. Oh yeah, they'll have a they'll have a purpose for a long time. By long time, I mean at least another five years. Right until something <laughs> else comes out. Let's end up with again talking about obstructive sleep apnea because that's something that actually affects the prognosis or the predictable success. It lowers the success rate of standard periodontal disease treatment, which is scaling and root planning. Talk about that for a few minutes. Well, there's been some really well done and published studies, uh, like in British Dental Journal, about the success rate when you have someone who is a mouth breather as opposed to um, someone who has good nasal breathing technique. Uh, the success rate drops by about half. So it makes absolutely no sense to just go in and do periodontal treatment, standard of care treatment, without actually addressing the nasal 
uh, breathing and or lack of. Now, going back to children with moms who have obstructive sleep apnea, it does a whole lot of things. And at least in animal studies, what it does is it can cause neurodevelopmental defects in the developing animal. Um, and that is shocking and horrifying to me because I, I used to see a lot of kids with developmental delays and sensory issues. They often wondered there'd be no reason why this occurred that they would know of. I wondered if it wasn't due to a obstructive sleep apnea in the mom. Uh, also, it can cause, and this is in animal studies because we can't really prove this in humans, it can cause a lower jaw to be underdeveloped in the developing uh, pup or or animal. And you think of all these kids born with no lower jaw, you're wondering if that isn't happening in humans. But it does cause for the mom gestational diabetes, it causes weight gain, um, it makes them more prone to perio, and the perio makes them more prone to become insulin resistant. So they have more weight gain, having more gestational diabetes, and a higher risk then of C-section. And yet it's so easy to treat and so easy to diagnose. So and yet the, dentistry's been missing out on this. What's behind the scenes that contributes to the etiology of these kinds of uh, conditions from OSA? What's actually happening from the local area of the sleep apnea in the mouth? How does it do this to the rest of the body and also the developing child? Well, so it's so interesting because, of course, whenever you have obstructive sleep apnea, there's a constant stress reaction in the body at night. So you always have the increase in cortisol you know, production within the body, which means, again, you're going to start putting away weight, which is because then if you have women who gain all the extra poundage during pregnancy and they have a they have to work hard to get rid of it later. That increases the sleep apnea, but the increase in mouth breathing increases the growth of all the pathogens. I mean, you'll have an increase in strep mutans, you'll have an increase in caries, you'll have also an increase in periodontal disease. And the circulating pro-inflammatory cytokines cause insulin resistance because they increase the inflammatory response to the entire body. And when that happens, you get insulin resistance. That's part of what happens as the body tries to shut down all the glucose uptake that goes into the cells. So you really have um, a cascading effect that uh, results with, oh, in, in, in some studies, just snoring was linked to an increase in, in preeclampsia. So it's easy to diagnose, it's easy to ask the questions, and it's easy to treat. We just haven't been doing it. So the oral systemic link that was somewhat of a concept 10, 15 years ago, it's proven now that this is exactly what happens, and it's the bacteria under the gums that are really the culprit to all this? Oh, a great deal of the culprit. As, as I was lecturing at the CDS meeting and someone asked me what I was lecturing on, I told him, he goes, well, I just thought there was just like a, a link that was maybe published in not the world's best journals. I was laughing going, my friend, if you put the word periodontal and atherosclerosis in PubMed, you get over 7,600 publications, many of which are in the top cardiology journals. There is no link they have cause and effect. You can take Orphromonas gingivalis and give it to pregnant mice and see increase in miscarriages and preeclampsia. You can take the microbiome from a woman with preeclampsia and give it to a germ-free pregnant mouse and it will get preeclampsia. The mouse will. You can do all these great studies. You can do Orphromonas gingivalis and and this is published in a great journal, by the way, 
uh, over a period twice a week, I think it was, or three times a week for a month, three times a week for a month, 12 treatments of porphyromonas gingivalis in the mouth. And the mice got all the histopathological markers of Alzheimer's. They got the um, insulin resistance. They started to gain weight. They had cognitive decline. They could no longer do the mazes as well, and they could no longer find the cheese as well. They can show cause and effect. There is so, no more theory. It's it's like written like the Bible now. So what's your conversation with a new patient, or an existing patient for that matter, on a recare visit, where you could identify that that patient has OSA, and when you do identify that that patient has OSA, what is the first thing you do? Well, we often do um, a simple, there's Epworth, uh, Epworth sleepiness scale that we can run. But we also do um, home sleep apnea tests, the H, uh, HSAT. Um, there's one I use called Sleep Image, and we use that. And it's just fascinating. Then we refer people to a sleep center. But, yeah, we take care of what the problem is. We get them worked up by uh, ear, nose, and throat. Sometimes the kids, it's just large tonsils and adenoids. Get those out. The kids stop snoring. Everything gets much better. By the way, the first time I ran into that was over 20-some-odd years ago, 20, what, five years ago, with my middle son, Christopher, who needed to have his tonsils out. It changed him. Unbelievable. So twenty five years ago. So the de so the dentist, yeah, that's that's unbelievable. So the dentist doesn't really need to do any definitive treatment per se. I mean, they don't have to; they can, but they don't have to participate in the treatment of OSA. But for them to identify it, because the patient is seeing them and they're looking in their mouth and talking to the patient, probably more than most other healthcare providers, the dentist being the most commonly visited healthcare provider, um, just identifying it and referring it to someone that can deal with it is really a tremendous service to the patient. Do you agree? Oh yeah, Here, here's a classic example published in the International Journal of Ear, Nose, and Throat. Uh, they looked at many hundreds of kids having their tonsils and adenoids removed because of airway issues. All of them had dental disease. All of them did. Um, in fact, over 60% of them had severe to moderate decay, and these are kids who are four or five years of age. In other words, there's a very strong association between the mouth breathing and dental disease. So if you see a child come in and they have a mouthful of cavities and they're four years old or three years old, there's a good possibility you have a child with sleep disturbed breathing too. And the microbiome that's being disrupted there with mouth breathing, is that just due to the dryness of the environment and the lack of the ability for the saliva to help clean things up while they're sleeping? That's the most direct and simple answer to the whole thing is the fact as you mouth breathe, you do desiccate the oral cavity and the saliva cannot do what it's supposed to. You will not have all the antimicrobial proteins, the, the lubricant. You won't have the commensals you normally would have in the saliva floating around that are protecting you. So you just get the pathogens overgrowing. And this is something one day, Phil, we got to sit down. We have to really talk about this in depth. Yeah, because this is something that is, I mean, it's like, you know, you're trying to fix an automobile and the, the frame is bent and you keep putting new parts in and every 10 miles the thing wears out and the other parts being stressed because it's never going to be fixed because the frame is bent. And I actually you... had a vehicle with a bent frame. I am laughing so hard because it would never track right because the front and the back, were, it was a bent frame. Right. It would never 
drive correctly, and uh, I'm laughing. No one today knows what we're talking about because that well, was they, prior to unibody construction. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you know, you can buy a, a salvaged car, and you you got to make sure you don't get a bent frame. But you know, they straighten it, it out the best they can. But the point is, unless you get down to the root of the problem, and that's the problem with a lot of medicine. I mean, we're not just talking about dentistry. We're talking about a ton of diseases. We're a sick country. We have many, many people that are unfortunately overweight, obese, diabetics, and a lot of this stuff can be prevented with better diet. And, you know, that's where the wellness dentistry is coming in. We're starting to do more podcasts on wellness dentistry. But this obstructive sleep apnea is a major concern in the dental profession that should be looked at. Like I said, I hate to use the term bent frame, but if you can't fix the OSA in a patient, everything you do is Correct. destined for failure, right? Every restoration Correct. you place in the mouth. Eventually, yeah, your your recurrent caries rate will be so much higher. And you're absolutely 100% correct when you said root cause. Functional medicine and functional dentistry is looking for the root cause. Yeah. All right, well, listen, uh, again, a great podcast, Dr. Cannon. I hope I didn't talk too much because you're the one that knows everything. No, um, no, this is fun. It's always fun. Uh, you know, we're... We're, we're just not doing a podcast together. We're friends having a conversation. No, absolutely. Yeah. So we need to do more on this OSA stuff. We need to get you back on and get more into detail about how a dental practice can kind of transform their approach to treating patients so that they could get to the root cause. And maybe, I mean, I think they would probably do a great, besides service for the, their patients, they would build their practice up from the marketing standpoint very quickly, just because there are so many people that suffer from OSA. and having that wellness approach, that whole body approach, to me, is an attractive thing for a patient to, to go to a dental office instead of just being a tooth doctor. But I would that. say that all the young people, all the young parents are looking for someone who does more than just fix teeth. They want someone who's going to be there, who's going to advise them and help them pick the right type of products to use. Um, for themselves, the right type of toothpaste, everything. People are more educated now about, they know, a lot of them will, I just saw um, a thread, um, a conversation where um, a periodontist recommended using chlorhexidine and the physician patient said, wait a second, here's all the side effects chlorhexidine has. By the way, he did not go into the main side effect of it raising the blood pressure. Hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of things that, People now are learning about and our patients are hearing about that we've got to be aware of. Yeah. And that's why we do these podcasts and that's why we encourage everybody to continue on with their continuing education because it doesn't stop at dental school diploma, that's for sure. All right, Dr. Cannon, thank you very much and we look forward to having you. you. Yeah, we look forward to having you on a future podcast very soon. You bet. Take care, my friend. Always good to talk to you. If you've been enjoying our podcast, we'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback by leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform, whether it's Spotify, Apple, Google, or any other platform you listen on. Leaving a review is a fantastic way to support us and help others discover our show.